my delightfully nerdy history friends. This is Historical AF. I am Kina. Hi, Kina. Hi, I'm Nikki from the Bad Girls Gospel and everyone's favorite producers with us, too. Hi. How you doing? What's your name? My name is Evan. Producer (laughs) Evan. Producer Evan. (laughs) It doesn't say producer on my license, though. Oh, it should. I know, right? I'm I'm working on that. I'm working on that. We are a historian and some special podcast guests delivering you some morbid and historical nuggets you never knew you needed in your ear holes. Welcome to episode 68, Sex History Part 2. We should have been 69. That's what I just did. Skipped an episode. We should have been 69. Which is the whole reason this is sex, because obvious reasons. But yes, I called dibs before you guys. Right. I've done a 68 too. Oh. I can do them all. I can do 67, 66s, all that fun stuff. <laughs> I'm so excited to have you guys here. So let everybody know what your podcast is, what it is about, how they can find you. Sex. Lots and lots of sex. I mean, we talk about like relationships too, but. Yeah. Mostly sex, because that's, is it bad for me to say that's what I'm known for and not sound like a whore? No, no. Sums it up. You need a towel after you're done listening to our stuff. (laughs) And it could be from crying because we say some off the wall shit. So I am a certified sexual health and promotions educator through the Indiana University of Indiana. Excuse me. Evan and I both... He's, I'm the host. He's the producer and we do the bad girls gospel. We're on, tell me if I'm wrong, Evan, iTunes, yeah. Spotify, yep. iHeartRadio, yep. Stitcher. Yep. What am I missing? I don't know. I forgot. Okay. Yeah. All those. <laughs> and then we have a website, thebadgirlsgospel.com. We're on Instagram at thebadgirlsgospel and then the same name on Facebook. Yeah. What she said. Awesome. And how long have you had your podcast going? Quarantine birth. Yeah, it was born during quarantine. So probably three months-ish. Yeah, yeah. Give or take. Got a stimulus check. I figured, you know what the hell? I'll just contribute just to gonna... the economy and I'll buy a studio. And that's what I did. And we made this. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, when we get another one, I don't know what I'm going to buy with it. Maybe like video stuff. I don't know. Oh. We'll start doing a Pornhub <laughs> channel or something. I've been asking for a Pornhub yeah. channel. We'll and he up, keeps telling me to be patient. I have a porn studio in the next room. Oh, oh. The bed and the lights and oh, everything set up. That would be nice. Like yeah. with that like retro yeah. wood paneling yeah. that you got in there. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Peel and, the the peel and stick tile on the floor. <sighs> Smells like asbestos. It'll be fabulous. It's not asbestos. <laughs> it's a gasoline can, damn it. <laughs> I mean, notice there ain't no lawnmower in there, though. Right. Well, why would you keep your lawnmower in your house? Because I don't mow the grass. <laughs> I'm lazy. I just hire somebody to do it. No, seriously. He's got a lawn boy. I do. Lawn boy. Have a pool boy too, but I don't have a pool though. That's the fucked up part. (laughs) Oh, we're not supposed to say. Are we supposed to? Is this a? Can we say that word? Oh yeah, it's literally in our title. We're historical as fuck. So yeah, yeah, it's fine. Okay, cool. There's no shame. There's nothing off limits here. Awesome. I love that. Sounds like you guys got like a whole empire starting off. All these channels, (laughs) your podcast. Yes. And take over the world. Internet radio station coming soon. Yeah. (laughs) So Evan is an old radio guy. Oh, okay. So he worked in radio when it was cool to work in radio. Yeah. And like when people still like had radios in their homes, which means he's really old. No, I'm not that old. (laughs) (laughs) 37. Um, Come on. To be fair, though, he started like seven years ago. He started working in radio when he was like 16. Yeah. Ish. So. Yeah, A-track player. yeah, they had eight track players at their first station yeah. he worked at. So. Real to real. I don't know what that is. It looks like tape. No, Grandpa, show me a picture. Yeah, no, I'm not going to. <laughs> yeah, we had those. 
Evan is an old radio guy. We talk about like our origin story, right? So Evan oh, was a radio guy. D- yeah, she gets me out of the nursing home just to come and produce I know. A I go check. I go check him out like of the nursing home twice Thanks. a week. He gets a furlough twice a week from the nursing home. <laughs> Off the shady acres I go after tonight. <laughs> <laughs> so origin story. What made you decide on this topic? She she likes to sell dildos and lubes and all that fun stuff. And so I work for an undisclosed direct sales company that sells bedroom accessories and i would come over here to hang out like after parties and stuff and i came over one day i was like there was a woman at my party who did not know where her clitoris was i cannot wrap my head around the fact that a grown woman with a child had no idea like i had no joke i had to draw her a picture on a piece of paper i was like this is your vulva there's a little thing here under a little flap of skin. Here's your vagina. Like, and she was like, oh. And I was like, take this home, and I'm going to give you a bottle of some stuff. I want you to call me in the morning. Her husband <laughs> called me two days later. He was like, thank you. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> You're welcome. My job here is done. Evan was like, you need to, like... Like, you would be so good, like, telling these stories. I'm like, yeah, but, you know, and he's like, I have an idea. And he texts me one day. He's like, I need you to come over tonight. I got to show you something. And he's like, we're going to build a studio and have a podcast. Start writing shit down. And so my poor notebook. (laughs) So I'm not the writing type or the, you know, I can come up with some ideas, but not like the whole topic of the show. So. He leaves you know, like that to pushing me. Pushing buttons and making it sound good and then letting somebody else kind of He's take, the brains take behind the operation. I'm just the cute one. <laughs> That's such a good idea. I mean, you're Southern too. They don't really teach you a whole lot about sex education uh, other well, than like, you shouldn't do it. Right. This woman had been, and not that there's anything wrong with this, like had gone to a private Baptist grade school, private Baptist college. Like mm-hmm. the first person she ever kissed was her husband and they did not kiss until the day they got married. Like the whole Duggar thing, right? Which, mm-hmm. again, nothing wrong with it. It's just not for me. But I like to buy cars without test driving them, too. <laughs> right? Me, too. Oh, that was literally my dad's advice, like his sex talk for me. He's like, you just don't buy a car without test driving it. Right. Like, this is weird, well, but see, okay. My grandma's sex <laughs> advice to me was why buy the cow when you can get the milk for free if you're going to put it out? He's not going to marry you. Mm. That's not true. And I was like, thanks, grandma. I mean, that's not completely true. I mean, I made that mistake twice. What? Well, <laughs> what? I got, I got nothing. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, no, it was like really out of necessity. Like women need to learn about their bodies, how their bodies work, about mm-hmm. sex, obviously. Yeah, and the only podcast I could find, and now I know I probably didn't look hard enough, but were by men telling women about their bodies. And I'm not a feminist by any means, but I don't want some man telling me how to masturbate. Mm-hmm. Or what my orgasm should feel like. Like, it to me, it just enraged me and made my head want to explode. And I was like, I could do a better job than these jokers. Mm-hmm. So here we are. Yeah. No, I'm all 14 for 14 episodes later. <laughs> beer yeah. wench. We need more beer over here, please. Yeah, please. Thank you. That's what You're I the need. Best. I need a beer wench. My system at a- work gives me the finger, too. It's like <laughs> I can't go anywhere without getting the finger from somebody that has to do something. But then again, I'm not paying Tyler, so. And then you're, okay, whatever. <laughs> He's like, you're fired, Nikki. <laughs> oh, and you guys said you're from Kentucky? Yes. Kentucky, the home of Kentucky Fried Chicken, in which we hate. It sucks. It's nasty. It is what it is. We like, don't eat it. Popeye's is better. Chick-fil-A is better. Okay, so history of sex, right? Yeah. 
Sorry, train wreck there. Get back in the lane. Yes. Do you want to go first? I'm really interested in your story. So when I got my certification, Indiana University is where the Kinsey Center is. Mm-hmm. And I'm sh- sure that name probably sounds familiar maybe to some of your listeners and to you as well. Alfred Kinsey It's like the grandfather of the modern sexual revolution. So there's two kind of schools of thought. Mm-hmm. As far as the sexual response cycle. So if you've ever seen Masters of Sex on HBO, you're familiar with one of them. So it's William Masters and Virginia Johnson. They were called the Masters of Sex. And so they they were the ones that actually like documented the uh, the sexual response cycle from start to finish. Mm-hmm. And it was in the 60s, like 50s and 60s. So if you think about it, like 60s were kind of coming into like free love and like Woodstock and like, sorry, I talk with my hands and I just totally distracted <laughs> myself. <laughs> no, you're fine. You want me to give you something for that hand to occupy it so you don't talk with them? There's that handcuffs in that reach, box out on your table. table. <laughs> reach under the table right here. I got it out. Go ahead. I got it out. <laughs> look, poor Tyler. He's like, I don't look. Tyler's across from me and he's going, <laughs> I don't want to look. I don't want to look. <laughs> um, Watch and learn, boy. <laughs> So anyway, they documented with video cameras and like EKGs, stuff that now people would be like, oh, that's kind of dirty. Like, who wants to watch someone get aroused? They like literally sat with like their notebooks and their pens and like watched people masturbate to document like what their blood pressure was and what their heart rate was and what color was their skin and what was their breathing like and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So they came up with there's four stages. Of arousal. So the first one is excitement. Sorry, I have to put my notes here because I always screw them up. <laughs> so <laughs> I always like flip flop them. So they said that there's four stages. The first one is excitement. So your nipples become erect, both in men and women. Come erect, your breath quickens, your skin flushes. So you, your blood is flowing from like your brain to your genitals. So everything turns pink and red blood flows to the clitoris. If you're a female or to the penis, if you're a male, the vagina starts to lubricate, the penis gets hard. The uterus also will start to contract. So typically we hear that when you're having a baby, right? Like you Mm -hmm. have contractions. Well, what it, when you don't have a baby that you're trying to push out of your vagina, your uterus will contract. So if you think about that, this is the bottom of your uterus sitting in your vagina and this is the top, it'll pull back to lengthen your vagina. You should pull yours out. Just show them. Cause like, <laughs> pull my uterus out. Uh, That's exactly uterus. how that works. <laughs> Let me just, do I need to draw you a picture? I'll show you later. Yeah, I'm like, I'll know. give you a little one-on-one later. It'll be fine. Um, <laughs> So your uterus will lift and contract to create more room to take a penis. So that's the first stage. The second one is the plateau. So your heart rate, blood pressure, breathing, and muscle tension all increase. If you're a man, your testicles will draw up towards your body, kind of like when you're cold. Whoa. So if men think about like what happens to your balls when you get cold, same thing happens during this stage. And a man will reach the point where ejaculation is inevitable. That's when they're like, oh, my God, I'm going to come right now. That's what that is. Um, what are we doing again? Oh, my God, I'm going to come right yes, now. Just like that. Yeah. And Evan makes his O face. 
Um, (laughs) Oh, 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 oh. oh. (laughs) That's exactly what he sounds like, too, in case you're wondering. In women, your vagina lubrication increases, so you get wetter. And then your labia and your vaginal opening darken due to the increase of blood flow. The third stage is orgasm. So your nipples get erect. Your heart rate increases. That's when I don't know if you've ever seen porn. Right? <laughs> Their chest turns what's like this, that. What's porn? Porn. Oh, look at. I'll show you later. I'll show you later. <laughs> so that's when your chest, like if you notice in women, their chest will get really pink, really red. Those are the porns I like because they're actually real. Right. Like they're not. They're that's not. That's how you know it. they're faking it. They're not it. faking it because yeah, um, I can tell. So you'll get a flush across your chest. Men ejaculate and women experience vaginal contractions. So basically, you just told everybody how to tell if their lady if is faking. faking. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, ladies. Sorry. <laughs> My, I, My bad. I, I think every dude, like every dude, has had that happen once or twice. So, but can I can I just say this to your female listeners and watchers? If you've ever faked an orgasm, tonight is the last night you do that. Please stop. You are doing nobody any yeah, favors. Like seriously, like, I get on my soapbox. I'm sorry. Don't fake an orgasm. Be polite. Don't be like, dude. Like I'd much rather I'd just much be rather like, go hey, home with my t- try this. I'd much rather go home with between with my tail between my legs and saying, okay, maybe I just wasn't a match for her. You know, maybe I just couldn't couldn't do it. But then realize she was faking it. That like that's a bigger blow yeah. to the ego than anything. Mm-hmm. Well, and we're doing nobody any favors, ladies, by faking an orgasm. Okay, that. That was my I mean, PSA. Honestly, that's like, my PSA. No, for right first, now. tell me that. Okay, do it this way. Like, tell me. Right. And guys, find her clitoris because that will help you. <laughs> uh, I mean, you got a you got a little little ring on that's there, enough. so it's yes. like I, I, ha- I basically to, have a giant neon. I can sign close my. <laughs> I can close my eyes with you. Just like all I got to do is fill that little metal piece, and I'm good. Focus right around there. It's, it's my dirty secret. So. <laughs> <laughs> the fourth stage is resolution. So once you get off, blood goes back where it started. Heart rate and blood pressure return to normal. Here's my next PSA. If your heart rate and blood pressure do not return to normal, please call your doctor. Something ain't right. <laughs> okay. So what that's my boner don't go down in like four hours. Um, then you took too much yeah, Viagra. And we have to go to the I don't ER. take Viagra though. <laughs> so thank well, then we have to go to the ER and no. you gotta get the blood drained from no. that shit. Ooh, that? <laughs> so that obviously I'm an educator, right? Like mm-hmm. you, you like looking at facts and educating people on things. So do I. Look, women have zero refractory period. Men have like 15 to 20 minutes. Women have zero. So if you get off and he's still hard, you hop back on and finish that shit. Like, <laughs> please do not waste a boner. <laughs> That should be on merch. Don't waste a yeah. boner. Don't waste a boner. Don't waste a boner. How about my God? On? Can we do that? Yeah, sure. Make me a t-shirt of it. Okay. Have Michelle make me a t-shirt. She made me this one. I need one that says "Don't waste a boner." Yeah, okay. Totally do it. Okay, thanks. You're the best. Well, I'm glad I'm good for something. Right. So that's Masters and Johnson. So that was like 50s, 60s. So in the 70s, you had Heller Singer Kaplan, and she recognized one thing was missing. And then she kind of like reorganized some shit. Like she came in and like cleaned house. So she went from four to three, but she combined some and added one. So the first thing she noticed was missing was you can't have sex or have an orgasm if you have no desire. So if you don't have any interest or appetite for a sexual encounter, Mm -hmm. it ain't going to happen. So that was her first phase or her first step was desire. The want or need or appetite for 
oral or masturbation or sex or whatever. And then number two combines excitement and plateau. So that coming up and then where you're like, you know, as Evan, Evan makes the O face. Like, oh, oh, yes, oh, that, thank oh, you. Oh. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> and then number, her third step is orgasm, which combines orgasm and resolution. So you get off. So men ejaculate or women experience vaginal contractions. And then you have that resolution where everything goes back to baseline. Okay. So, that one makes sense too. I like Helen Singer Kaplan's better personally. Masters and Johnson tends to be a little more widely accepted in the mm. clinical and educational community just because they're a little more comprehensive. But without desire, you don't have any of that other stuff. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like, oh, what are we going to make for dinner tonight? You know, are you feeling? I mean, I do that. At, I do that at work maybe like three times a week. I get there. I'm like, I don't want to be here. You have no desire, yeah, like so you turn it's around not and very, come home. It's not very productive. No. Right. But when you want to be yeah, there, you're more I'll productive. Do, yeah. Kick yeah. Ass. Same thing. Yeah. So same thing. I had some other notes here, just some interesting stuff. So Evan, I think, already knows this, but probably doesn't remember. I'm going to, like, shift gears on you for just a second. say, damn it. Okay. <laughs> How long has Viagra been on the market, do you think? What year? 70s. What year was it released? Oh, um, it was discovered because it was for heart attacks. It, oh, I don't remember what year it was. Uh, um, it wasn't the 70s you're wrong 80s I'm sorry no 60s 50s no <laughs> so uh, it was approved for use in 1746 by, <laughs> by the FDA in 1998 really whoa okay. right so it's still on the market for men they have found kind of a female equivalent but in clinical studies Viagra didn't work in women but the placebo had an effect. So a lot of times, what? right? So when you do a clinical trial for a drug, right? So you have your control group, which receives a placebo. Mm -hmm. And then you have the group that receives the actual drug. They look identical, like identifying marks are like scraped off or whatever. Mm -hmm. they, they're the same color. They're the same shape. So nobody knows, you know, if you're a participant, you don't know if you're getting the drug or the placebo. So in 40% of participants reported. So these guys? Oh, these no, are guys these are, are women. Okay. These are women. So okay. they tried Viagra in women to see if it had any effect, a similar effect. So the clitoris is basically the anatomical equivalent of a penis. Mm. Okay. So I could bore you with like the whole development in utero thing. But basically when you start developing before week like 16 and a half to 17 and a half. You can't tell if the baby is a boy or a girl because mm -hmm. everything looks the same. So the part of the baby that becomes either the penis or the clitoris looks identical until close mm. to week 20 in, in gestation. Looks like a little shrimps. Something like that. So as the baby develops, that part either becomes a penis and a boy baby or a clitoris and a female baby. The nerve, you know, that's... You've got a high concentration of nerve endings at the head of the clitoris or the head of the penis. And actually, the clitoris comes back into the body and actually can lengthen mm. and grow. That's why, like, sometimes in porn or whatever, you'll hear a woman say, like, oh, my clit's so hard. It's the oh. same thing as a guy getting a hard on. Oh, okay. You know, for you said women Viagra. Forget the pills. Look, guys, do the damn laundry. Cook her dinner. <laughs> take her out somewhere nice. 
Hey, there ain't nothing fucking. We'll get a girl off to see a dude with a vacuum cleaner. What if you or have like hardwood floors? Putting the kids to bed. And then it's a guarantee. Like, yeah, I'm tired as fuck, but I'm going to bash the shit out of this right now. Because I just, I, yeah, that's what I'm doing. Is that right? I don't know. Okay. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> just go back. Look, poor Tyler. He's like, oh my God. I'm going to give you this damn board so you can cut my microphone off. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Go back to the corner. Evan gets put in the corner when he talks too much. I like it though. <laughs> so they tested Viagra in women to see if it had the same effect. It did not, which is why Viagra has not been approved for use in women. But about 40% of participants recorded that the drug actually happened to be a sugar pill. Usually when they give a placebo, it's a sugar pill. Mm-hmm actually improved their sex lives. So it was clearly psychosomatic. We're going to give you this drug. Here's what it does. It's the little blue pill. Everyone knows what the little... What are you so, doing? So in other words, buy your woman chocolate and sugar and yeah, it's going to make them horny. I, you know? No. <laughs> so yeah, no, Viagra was released in 98. It's not yet been approved for women. They have come out with something that claims to be the female equivalent of Viagra and I think it's called I want to say it's called Addy, which I know is also the street name for Adderall, which can be incredibly <laughs> confusing. <laughs> I only got like maybe five more left, and then I got to go to the doctor and get some more. But um, it's called it's like A D D Y I or something like that. But yeah. I have a friend who is a nurse practitioner that her focus is women's health, and I asked her about it, and she was like, "It's not been on the market long enough. I would not give it to anybody." Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, that's my story, and I'm sticking. Well, that's down. really interesting, especially with the sugar pill. I think women like afraid to really express themselves sexually. So maybe if they yes. thought that this pill is going to like embolden them, right. you know, pee. yeah, that and makes a lot know, of sense. Women, my my PSA, as always, like <laughs> if you've listened to our podcast, you know, like I'm, I tend to be kind of alpha and outspoken for the most part is if you want something, you're not going to get it. If you don't ask for it, do not think they can read your mind because they can't. Hey, do this. Okay. Or I want to try that. I've worked in corporate America. So like I have a day job, right? It's a boring (laughs) corporate job. That's what I said. When people are like, what do you do? I'm like, I have a boring corporate job. I've had a boring corporate job since I was 18. I'm 34. Put a boring corporate job longer than like Tyler's been alive. Probably. So old. <laughs> like I have underwear older than Tyler. So <laughs> okay, t-shirts, not underwear, because that's gross. <laughs> but in what I always teach people, because I I was a corporate educator for a while, is the you will not get a hundred percent of what you don't ask for. If you go into a conversation with your partner, with your boss, with your mom, whatever. And the worst outcome you can think of is that they're going to tell you no. Okay. You know, if I go to Evan and I'm like, hey, Evan, I want to do X, Y, and Z. And the worst they could possibly say is no. No, I, I'm an ADHD second. So you want me to stick what and what and this and what? Can you draw me a picture, please? <laughs> <laughs> Help me understand. At the same show. time? Or just... Separately or at the same, you want them at the same time. Okay, cool. Yeah. But if you go into it with like, okay, what's the worst? Ask yourself, what is the worst possible outcome? You could say no. I could ask Evan, hey, Evan, I want to go to the Red Lobster for dinner tomorrow night. What's the worst he's going to tell me? 
No. That's 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 not okay. very boozy. Red Lobster. <laughs> okay, really? I want to go to Ruth Chris okay, tomorrow night. Okay, better. Sure. <laughs> What's the worst you can tell lobster. me? No. Okay, so if I know that going in, I can't be disappointed. Yeah. You're not going to get what you don't ask for. If I don't say, hey, Evan, I want fill in the blank, right? Like, whatever. So ask yourself, what's the worst they can tell me? Okay. Are you okay with that? Probably. Because a lot of times when people say no, it tends to be a more of a no, especially sexually. It's more of a no, not right now, because I don't know enough about it. So well, that's it. Masters and Johnson. Right <laughs> oh, it was really interesting. I remember I got to take human sexuality in college, and it was a really interesting class, because being from the South, I didn't learn shit right. until I got to college. Don't have sex before marriage. Sex makes babies. That's what they teach you in the South. Yeah. Yeah, very much. I remember, and heaven help me if she's watching right now, because I'll just die my stepsister. I remember being <laughs> like 17 or 18. 16 or 17. I was probably 17. I come home and my mom and my stepdad had just gotten married. And so he had two daughters that were older than me. And I came home from school one day and he was pissed. And I was like, what's wrong? And he was like, nothing. I don't want to talk about it. Ask your mother. Like, okay, ask your mother. This is never going to end well. (laughs) So I asked my mom and she's like, your stepsister's pregnant. So I'm like trying to be, you know, like, the olive branch, right? Unite the two families. It lasted all of about six months because I realized what bullshit it was. And so I asked her, I was like, so what's up? Like, was this plan? And she's like, we only had sex once. Oh my God. Are you kidding me? What? And I looked at her. I was like, are you serious? Are you kidding me? She's like, well, we only did it once. And we, it was the first time I heard you couldn't. And I was like, please tell me you cannot think that you cannot get pregnant the first time you have sex she's like well i was a virgin i was like i mean i was too like six months ago (laughs) i mean because like obviously my stepsisters were raised way differently than i was mom said well when i was growing up your grandmother told me that i could get pregnant after sitting on a toilet seat if the boy peed on the toilet seat and didn't clean it off and i was like oh i was like but you can't. I mean, you probably could, but like the odds are like, I would have a better chance of getting struck by lightning and then winning the lottery. Mm-hmm. I mean, seriously, I'll sit down on a toilet sometimes, you know, and then the junk, I like either drip in the right. water or like touch the toilet bowl. And like, I like start freaking the fuck out. Like, I need a penicillin shot. I need a penicillin shot. Ah, that's got to fall off. Stop. I got herpes or some shit. I don't know. Syphilis. <laughs> oh, the sif. The sif. There's a whole thing about like hookers and like Rome or something used to have like uh, pubic wigs to cover up like venereal disease scars and stuff. It was a thing. It was like a whole thing. Like they would manufacture like pubic wigs for prostitutes. Oh, yeah. The the Merkins, right? Mm hmm. Yeah. Yes, that. It's a great name. (laughs) Right? I mean, because it totally (laughs) describes what it is. Evan's so confused. He's like, fuck. No, okay. Whatever. I don't, look, I don't really tend to look at it. I don't stare at it and like, like a piece of art, you know, just like, oh, that's beautiful. Speaking of a piece of art, if you ever want to Google a shocking piece, a masterpiece, it's called Origin of the World. It's just a giant vagina in your face. 
a French vagina in your face. Yes. French vagina. Perfect. Is it hairy? Yeah. Draw me like one of your Oh, French very much. Track. Very much so. It was hairy. the first slide they showed in college. Oh, wow. Yes. No, that's definitely a I vagina. I want to see the vagina. I want to see the vagina. <laughs> Hang on. It's, no. Oh, no, not mine. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> oh, God. It's like some... Wow. She needs to go see Diane. Shit. Squirrel yeah. might jump out of there or some shit. <laughs> 19th century French vagina. Glad I live in 2020. Well, maybe not 2020. <laughs> 2020 2019 and then 2021. We'll skip. Yeah. Never. It's in the Musée d'Orsay in Paris. So it's like in the same museum as Monet's and Degas. <laughs> it's like, boom, vagina. It's right next to like the ballet dancers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Look at that. I mean, but it's... Mm. She, she's got some curves though. Like, I'm okay and she was a it. prostitute. Damn, y'all zoomed yeah. up in on that uh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Cool. And it's a really big painting. So if you walk by it, you're like, "Whoa!" Can't miss it. Yeah, Can't miss, miss it. it. All right. So I had morbid this week. And first of all, if you could solve any unsolved murder, what would it be? Out of like the Jimmy, famous, like Jimmy Zodiac Hoffa. or Jean Monnet. Oh, that's a good one for me. I don't know. I mean, it's probably not famous, but like locally it is probably like the whole Crystal Rogers and her dad and Jason Ellis thing. But they found a body the other day. Oh, Bardstown thing. Yeah, that's jacked up, man. I don't know. Just because that's too close to home for me. That's too many people related mm-hmm. too close to my house. Just because the Bardstown damn police department, everything's all corrupt and shit. Well, that's why. Ugh. Um, and then there was, what was her name? It was like in the seventies here in Louisville. There was a girl that was like, like disappeared from Bashford Manor. Not famous locally. Oh, oh and Gottlieb. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, there's I so mean, many. So like, that's not famous, but if you're from Louisville, you and I say Bashford Manor Mall, mm-hmm. you know that before it was a Lowe's, <laughs> it was a huge shopping mall. Yeah. And they found her bike. Oh, yeah, I remember that. And I think at one point, the police department tried to make it a hate crime because she was Jewish. But that kind of fizzled out. But in the last 20 years, I think they said that they thought they had found her alive. Oh. And then that was like all they said. Like that was, yeah. So So I would say like the Crystal Rogers, Jason Ellis and Crystal Rogers dad thing. Or the Ann Gottlieb thing. So what's yours? Mm. What's yours? I, I want to know so many, but Jack the Ripper is one of the top ones. There's just yeah. something about it. I just need to know. I need somebody to figure this out. And it will never be found out, but it right. drives me nuts. <laughs> so my story, we're going to go back to 19th century London for a morbid stroll through white chapels. So first, we're going to take a little historical detour on prostitution. Yes. Just oh, kick this topic. contrary to the old cliche prostitution is probably not the world's oldest profession i know it's fun to say but it was mostly likely like hunting and gathering and farming right but mary magdalene a prostitute though eh, like i mean depends on who you talk to it doesn't actually say that in any of the biblical texts but then too soon nikki too soon (laughs) but once humans settled and civilizations popped up Bet your ass prostitution was a booming business, and it was found in every civilization throughout the entire world in all recorded human history. So basically, wherever there's been money, goods, and services available to barter, somebody is bartering for sex. Just barter. Cuddles. (laughs) He 
is. I told him he should be a professional cuddler. Right. <laughs> so how do we know that everybody's paying, you know, to pop down to Pound Town? It's because it was written in laws and it was written in literature. So one of the earliest ones is the Code of Hammurabi, which is the earliest code of laws of mankind. So that was about 692 to 650 BCE, so a long-ass time ago. And that's the same dude that's like eye for an eye. And then he also did the, you know, um, trial by ordeal. We're like, fight a lion, and if you survive, you're innocent. So some Sweet. good stuff. That. But that was the first law that's had provisions for protecting the inheritance rights of prostitutes, which I find pretty progressive to even consider they even had inheritance rights. We're not quite there yet, but Romans actually used brothel tokens to pay for sex. Like they would buy little tokens that had pictures of sexual acts on them mm-hmm. and they could go to like brothels and trade them in if can they were st- in a country that they didn't like speak yeah. the language. Can, can you still buy those? Um, I, <laughs> I can look on Amazon. I want the one with the, the, <laughs> the two t- males and a female on there. Okay. The male, male, female. Got oh, it. And then I want the one with the girl sitting on that. looks like an okay. ancient washing machine. Okay. Let me see what I can find for you. I'm looking on Amazon. I'm listening. Oh, no, you're fine. But yeah, that was a perfect time because around the same time in Athens, a statesman named Salon established state-funded brothels in the 6th century BCE. So this became a thing where your government was actually buying your brothels for you. What? Excellent. So my government would buy me some... Yeah. Uh, around this time, there was also three classes of prostitutes, and that was the Pornai, and they were slave prostitutes, and then they had freeborn street prostitutes, and the Hetera, which were the educated prostitutes, and they were really high up on the social classes. So I'm assuming more of like the uh, courtesans and yeah. all that. So Like harem girls and stuff? Yeah. But as Christianity began to spread around the world, the idea that prostitution was sinful and not something you should be partaking of was all the rage. So in 90 CE, Ricare the first, and I'm probably mispronouncing that, banned prostitution to align with said Christian ideology. So Christianity at it again. Because, of course, if you ban it, nobody is going to do it, right? Yeah. It's probably like, stop giving your money to prostitutes and give it to us so we can do horrible things with it, too. Early churches did some shady shit. Mm-hmm. So and not the crusade. Yeah. <laughs> I <was about> to say, <laughs> have you heard of the children's crusade? <laughs> mm-hmm. So right. not so fun fact, there was no punishment for men who hired or exploited prostitutes. But if a woman was found guilty of selling sexual favors, she was whipped 300 times and exiled. Because Harder of course, uh, I would be the wrong person to do that too. <laughs> Then be like, witch! (laughs) Burn her at the stake, yes, please. (laughs) By the medieval era, prostitution was accepted again as a fact of life in several cities, and King Henry II discouraged it, but he let it happen. He only mandated that prostitutes must be single, and he ordered that inspections had to be done in the brothels to make sure that laws weren't broken. So it's pretty much, do you you, you just don't rob or kill or beat So I've got some notes from an old episode we did. And so if I can just Mm -hmm. add and finish, if you will. So in 411 BC, kind of before the, obviously before the Crusades, there was a playwright in Greece. So I'm a classically trained actor. So I get like kind of geeky on theater history. 
Oh, wow. That's um, so impressive. And you said it so nonchalantly. Yeah. <laughs> you know. <why> <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> I was a valet dancer for 16 years, too, but we don't talk about oh, that. Oh, that's... If you looked at me now, you would have no idea. You'd be like, damn, really? <laughs> Bitch lies. Anyways, 411 BC, Aristophanes wrote a play. And so back then, they wrote plays based on real stories. They changed names to pre- protect the innocent. So kind of like Law and Order SVU, but <laughs> before Jesus. Um, wrote a play called Les Estrada that tells the story of women from a certain village in Greece that tried to stop a war by withholding sex. Oh, wow. And they told their husbands, we will have sex with you when you all stop fighting with each other. And of course, like I said, like back then, they didn't just make stuff up. Like it had to have happened and they just changed names. Mm. So you have your like Greek histories and mm-hmm. Roman history plays to teach they used to use them as a way to teach people what happened, like, culturally mm-hmm. when there was no way to document it. You know, they didn't have history books in 411 B.C. This was how they taught history mm-hmm. of their village or their country was like, hey, we're going to write a play. And then all the men, theater history, pardon me. While I, <laughs> no, you're fine. I'm talking <laughs> my nerds back in. Um, it, so if you ever see a... Greek or Roman play done in the classic style. Mm-hmm. Anytime there is a character that is a man of nobility, he will have a phallus. So you'll be able to see the outline of a penis through his costume because they thought mm. that only men with large penises belonged in nobility. That's a fun fact. I remember having a theater history book in high school that actually had a picture of a phallus piece that an actor may have worn and they like tied it around their waist and then put, like, a pouch over top of it. So it looked like <laughs> the outline of a penis. And there was, like, a little pouch right over top of it. Oh, wow. That was interesting. The more you know. Right. Rainbow. Rainbow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry. I apologize. No, 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 no. Any, you any little problems? historical yeah. nuggets. I love them. So this is another example of where medieval era really surprises me for being kind of progressive. Really blows my mind because you really expect it to be just a... A wild time there. In 138, Italy, uh, they embraced prostitution and government-funded brothels, too, and they established them in major Italian cities throughout the 14th and 15th centuries. So, So again, in England, yes, they wanted the prostitutes to be single. Remember, adultery used to be punishable by death. Can't pimp out your wife now. But it's like this sexy time pendulum just keeps swinging, so it goes from, like, we're going to pay for your brothels till, you know, 1586, the Pope... Sixtus V mandated the death penalty for prostitution. So it escalates very quickly. Damn, you get the death penalty for prostitution? Yes. This yes. Pope was not That's horrible. Not the a pope. good time. The Pope. Oh, figures. Take it. Yeah. The figures. Pope. Figures. The Pope, yes. The Pope. And then there was penalties arranged from, you know, just maiming you to just straight up execution. And they were in most European states by the 1500s. Damn. <laughs> And this Pope ordered that all women who participated in prostitution should be put to death. So again, the men, nothing happens to them, but the women get put to death. Mm. So like, one, who hurt you? And like, two, seriously, who hurt you? Like, I don't understand. He's just very upset. And then he's also the first Pope to declare that abortion was homicide. And he was the first one to say that it was homicide regardless of the state of pregnancy, which is as interesting from what you said, because 
Before him, the churches taught that a fetus wasn't a human until 20 weeks. And you were talking about how 20 weeks is when you far enough along, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. That is really progressive. Yeah. Especially for the Roman Catholic Church. Yeah. And I say that with Evan and I both having been in full communion with the Catholic Church at one point or another. I never did the crap. I just went because I had to. (laughs) Yeah. So this was before 1586. All right, we're moving on to the 19th century. So early on, the French government's placed traditional bans on prostitution with the new bureaus of morals that came around after the French Revolution. And it started in Paris and then moved around. And the new agency was essentially a police force responsible for monitoring houses of prostitution to ensure that they complied with the law and did not become centers of criminal activity. So this is like a a thing that happens. They were like, oh, it's a brothel. It's immediately going to turn into crime and like shut her down which brings me to the criminal law act of 1885 in whitechapel so the parliament passed this as an act to make further provisions for the protection of women and girls the suppression of brothels and other purposes so two of the biggest aspects of this was one it raised the age of consent from 13 to 16 so like okay that's not too bad but then the second was like the criminalization of male homosexuality i'm like come on now just you lost me hmm. but as far as so, prostitution went it immediately instituted a tougher stance on brothels and sex workers i guess of course it did and there was these purists and vigilance associations which sound like the worst club to be a part of they were dependent on the police to enforce these laws so the police themselves had to go out and shut everything down so what would happen is if one of these boring organizations suspected that a house was being used as a brothel, they would report their suspicion to the local parish vestry, who in turn would instruct the police to keep the premises under surveillance and then try to get evidence. But I didn't know what a vestry was. It's apparently a committee for local secular and church governments in the parishes of English and Wales. Yeah. <laughs> so that was in the 1800s? Yes. Okay. So Sir Charles Warren became the Metropolitan Police Commissioner, and he decided that since watching brothels was not officially a part of their job, he and his men were no longer going to take Karen's calls and find out if all their neighbors were running a brothel. He was just like, we don't have time for this shit. So his yeah. main... Sounds familiar. He's like... The- just all the <laughs> so Warren's main objection was that deploying policemen to watch houses full of ill repute was effectively a waste of both time and their money. And it diverted officers from real crime prevention. So he's just like, get over it. If it's a brothel, it's not hurting you. I just, just go over, I just knock on the door. I'm a, I'm a good neighbor. Hey, are you running a brothel over here? Yeah. Please. <laughs> Please. <laughs> How much? Happy hours? How much? Can I get a deal? Can I get a deal? <laughs> he essentially believed that it was better contain prostitution than repress it. Because like history told us, where there's money, resources, and availability, people are going to barter for sex. And it doesn't matter what you do, it's going to happen. So yeah, he's like... Tax that blow job. Tax yeah. <laughs> I think in the 1800s, women basically paid for sex, too. Oh, really? In England. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were both here. Yeah. Well, no, make- women paid for it. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I could make a couple dollars a day. Do you remember this? <laughs> we watched a movie about... The invention of the vibrator. So it was invented in 1800s in England by a doctor. So they used to treat hysteria by women going into these clinics and getting masturbated by a physician. And their hands got so tired because they were like... (laughs) Finger-banging chicks all day. Well, I mean, literally, that's what they were Mm -hmm. doing. And these doctors, their poor hands would get so tired that they, out of necessity, had to figure out 
a way to do it so that they wouldn't get like arthritis in their hands and they wouldn't get so tired. And so is Dr. Joseph Granville. If you've never seen the movie Hysteria with Maggie Gyllenhaal, please go watch it because it's funny Good movie. and informative. And it's about the invention of the vibrator. The vibrator was invented out of necessity. And now there's one in like 70% of American households. <laughs> I always just find it's bullshit that it wasn't invented for women. It was invented for dudes. That were lazy. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> like, of course. Historically speaking, it checks out. <laughs> Evan's like, why are you looking at me? Like Using both. Like, hey, that's, that's not the toy. That's my assistant. This is my assistant, Bob. He's going to help me yes, out in this process. Bob. My assistant, Bob. We used Bob. to name, my, uh, name the dildos. Well, have you ever heard the term Bob is is an acronym for battery-operated boyfriend? I apologize. Yes. So, 1800s. Prostitution <laughs> and vibrators. Got it. All right. So at this point, they were more concerned with ignoring prostitutes than trying to arrest them. So by 1888, streetwalkers had become so emboldened by this that they were just walking along all the streets and you couldn't go anywhere without being solicited. So now for a little bit more context on what Whitechapel is. By the late 19th century, London was the largest capital on the planet in the center of the British Empire. Queen Victoria had already been queening for like 50 years. And now the famous Victorian lifestyle in London was in full swing. By 1888, London's West End was going through a massive renovation with music and concert halls, restaurants, and hotels. And it was just like the place you want to be. But on London's East End, it was not so much. Stretching between the, I'm not British, I'm going to fuck this up, Aldgate and Spitalfields in the West, in the mile end of the East, Whitechapel was the worst district in London's East End and was considered a no-go zone for those living in London. By the late 1800s, around 900,000 people called London's East End their home, with a quarter of a million of its inhabitants being based in Whitechapel. The area was overcrowded and riddled with crime. The working, living, and sanitation conditions for those who lived there was horrendous at best. Whitechapel's mazes of roads, alleyways, and courtyards were only lit by single gas lamps, making the streets incredibly dark. They had sheep and cattle herding in the streets, leaving trails of shit behind them. And... There's more. Residents threw all their raw sewage into the streets. So if you could just take a moment to imagine what that smelled like. So can I geek out for half a second? Yeah. So, you know, like when you walk down the street with a man with whom you are in any kind of relationship with and they walk on the street side of the street. This is where that originated. Because men walk on the street side and you think it's because like, oh, if a car jumps the curb. No, it's because people used to dump their like sewage and garbage out the window. And so they would walk to protect the woman from the dumping of the sewage. It's very chivalrous. Yes. And then they come over here and call, you know, native savages. I'm like, oh, okay. So many of the local residents were foreign immigrants and they had little to no money and they would often work really long hours just to make ends meet. And although the men living in Whitechapel often struggled to find work, it was even harder for women and most of them resorted to prostitution to just make a living. So for some context, during the Victorian ages, around 1,200 prostitutes were working in Whitechapel alone. So that's just one little borough of England. Although some experts predict it was a much larger, larger number And life was really difficult for these women, and they often sold themselves for as little as three pence or a stale loaf of bread. That's just so sad. I would sell myself for some clam chowder right now. (laughs) 
so specific. <laughs> I mean, I like some oh, clam chowder. Oh my God. We were on vacation like two weeks ago, and every time we went out to eat, he was like, Do you have clam chowder? And I was like, Babe, we're in Florida. <laughs> We're not in Boston. Did we're in Florida. Did they not have fucking clams in Florida? They had fish chowder. Okay, it was still good. Or seafood <laughs> chowder. So to make things worse, whenever a prostitute was murdered, it was really not reported in the press or discussed in any parts of London. And this led to countless of these women being subjected to physical attacks by their customers, which is one of the leading factors as to why Jack the Ripper got away with murder for so long before officials finally started to take notice. And this area was just the perfect hunting ground. It was dark. It was gross. Nobody paid attention. It was just like the perfect, the perfect murder. One of the first problems you encounter when you try to write about Jack the Ripper is that no one knows exactly how many of the Whitechapel murders were actually Jack the Ripper. Hence why I'm covering it as the Whitechapel murders and not just Jack the Ripper. So of the 11 Whitechapel murders, it's widely believed that Jack the Ripper is directly responsible for five of them even though it is possible he could have done way more than that. It's possible we may never know the real number. It's like that John Mulaney bit that he does. He's talking about old-timey cops that go into a crime scene, and this guy's like, oh, hey, detective, there's this pool of the killer's blood in the hallway. And then the detective's like, ooh, that's gross. Mop that up. Now back to my hunch. <laughs> you know, like, you know, they're, like, gross. stepping Why in it. you have someone clean that? Call housekeeping. <laughs> yes. They're, like, stepping in it and, like, stealing things from the crime scene. So there's, like, no way to know. So the first victim of the series of Whitechapel murders was a prostitute by the name of Emma Elizabeth Smith. In the early hours of Tuesday, April the 3rd, 1888, Emma was making her way home to a common lodging house at 18 George Street that had been at home for several months. When she was set upon by what is now thought to be a gang, although she survived the initial attack, she died in hospital from injuries, and they were brutal. The likelihood that she was a victim of Jack the Ripper is like slim to none, but she was the first to be part of the Whitechapel murders file. As for the second victim, it's more likely that it was Jack the Ripper. Fans of like psychology or true crime know that it's really rare for a serial killer to just emerge and show up and be like, boom, killing spree. There's usually a pattern where the killer begins to as attacks and assaults and then escalates to full-blown murder. So there's a high probability that he would have just committed some like smaller assaults on these women before he started killing people like this one that occurred just a few months after Emma on the bank holiday of Monday, the 6th of August, which I don't know what holiday that is. Martha Tabron also known as Martha Turner was a local prostitute in her late thirties when soliciting in Whitechapel with a friend, she met up with two guardsmen and I also saw it as soldiers and they went drinking for a while. And then around 1130, they split up as couples and they went down different streets. But then Tabram's body was first encountered around 330 AM on August 7th by George Crow. He had been returning home after work. And because it was so dark outside, he thought she was just a drunk woman passed out in the road. And then he just stepped over and went home. Oh, so sad. And then around 5 a.m., her body was found again by another resident in George Yard Buildings. But this time, there was enough light that he saw the blood. She'd been stabbed 39 times. 39. That's a very God, specific that's number. God. It's like yeah. 30 that's more a, than you needed. That's yeah. a crime. To me, that sounds like a crime of passion. Yeah. The wounds were on her throat, chest, and lower abdomen and appeared to have been inflicted by a pocket knife. Ugh. That sounds painful. Yeah. It gets worse. There was one violent stab that looked like it came from a bayonet. Oh, oh my. Like, who's just randomly carrying a bayonet around? 
I mean, I guess it was 1888, but still. I'm going to go. I want to get stabbed by a rake. Let's see. In the United States, what was happening? The Civil War had just ended. I don't know. So. I wasn't alive. Really? No. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. I mean, I feel like bayonets would have been readily available, kind of like. Probably, yeah. How pistols are now. Can you imagine walking down the street in 2020 with a fucking bayonet? People would be like, fuck what? me, bitch. I'm going to Come here. Or like one of those powdered guns where you have to like. Black powder. Oh, yeah, black powder Like guns. a musket. Shoot it once mm-hmm. and you're like, hold on, bitch. Jinx. Don't come over here. I'm going to load my shit up again. <laughs> I was yeah. just watching the Patriot. And it was just like them making eye contact as they reloaded their gunpowder. Right. Like, who's going to get done and shoot first? So many feel that Tabern was Rupert's first victim due to like where the area was, as well as the brutal nature of the crime. But some experts also agree that her wound pattern was really different from the five Ripper murders. So it was stabs rather than slashes. So it's either could just be like before he developed his MO or it could be another shitty person. These said five victims are known as the canonical five. That's a hard word to say. Canonical. All were prostitutes on the East End, shared distinctly similar wounds, and as well as post-mortem organ removal and mutilations in some cases. Other victims in the Whitechapel murders investigation have been brutally murdered as well, but none of them were carried out with the same precision and mythology as the canonical five. These five victims were all killed under the cover of darkness, typically in the early mornings. All of the murders also occurred on the weekend or within one day of and happened towards the end of the month or within a week or so after. The body of Mary Ann Polly Nichols was discovered in the early morning hours of August 31st, 1888 at 3.40 a.m. by two carmen, which are apparently cab drivers. I had to look that up because, you know, British. And they were on their way to work. Her body was found in front of a gated horse stable, and it was on Bucks Row in Whitechapel. The two men approached her body lying on the ground. 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 ground, well, ground. Where are you from? <laughs> My the hill, the hills come out. <sighs> Body lying on the ground on her back with her skirt pulled up to her waist. At first, they weren't sure if she was just passed out drunk. And then they were like, oh, shit, she might be dead. So they went over and felt her hands in her face. And when it was cold, they kind of freaked out. And they both hurried off to try to find a constable. Although some other sources were like, dude, hey, we're, you know, late for work. Let's just go and somebody else will find her. And I'm like, well, that's we're really rude. Late. <laughs> Yeah, but only minutes later, she was discovered by PC John Neal, who was passing through Bucks Row and his nightly beat, as they put it. I love British talk. Nightly beat. Nightly beat. (laughs) So he had a lantern with him and then he was able to see the extent of her injuries. Her throat had been deeply severed in two locations, nearly decapitating her. And her lower abdomen was partially ripped open by a deep, jagged wound. The killer had also made several other incisions in her abdomen with the same knife. The doctor who had arrived on the scene to examine the body had deemed her time of death less than 30 minutes before the time she was found. My first question is, how do they know? Like, 1888? They didn't have forensics back then. They're probably basing it on how cold she was, I'm assuming. The blood spatter implied that none of the lacerations were what actually killed her. If her throat was cut first, there would have been far more blood and then there would be blood spattered on the wall behind them. But there was none. So they think that she was strangled first before she was mutilated. The entire act would have taken place. That was nice of them. Yeah, I know, right? I hate 
fucking murderers. I don't know why I'm so fascinated by them when they're so just fucking awful. All right. I mean, I think you're, I mean, most, uh, there's a lot of chicks I know that are into the whole murder series. Yeah. I've heard a theory. It's because women are predominantly the victims that by learning about it and reading about it, we feel more empowered to like protect Mm. ourselves. Look, I'm a black belt. I don't want to be the victim. She'll whoop my ass. I mean, I will whoop Evan's ass, though. There's no question about that. <laughs> so they estimated that the whole murder took place in about five minutes between 3.30 and 3.40. And the inspectors acknowledged that the approach of Charles Cross may have even interrupted him and scared him away. And that happens a lot. There's a lot of these instances where people probably even saw who this was and didn't really know it. Identifying the woman was really hard she was so disfigured by her attack and it was really scary for all the people because they'd never seen anything this bad so even the coroner was like i don't know what to do with this i wonder if snitches get stitches still exist in her <laughs> six, 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 <laughs> like maybe 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 but she was about five feet two. two oh my gosh she's as tall as me yeah she had dark hair eyes and skin her hair was beginning to gray so they think she was middle-aged and she was missing three teeth. Her clothing was really well worn, indicating that she was down on her luck. This assumption was supported by the fact that her petticoat had a label in it for a workhouse. And then from that workhouse, they found somebody she used to work with and they were able to recognize her body. Hmm. Another thing is like prostitutes getting murdered. Most people didn't know who they were because they were estranged from their families or, you know, people weren't talking. All right. I know the, I don't know if you heard me say earlier, like kind of halfway jokingly, I know a girl who's prostitute, like legitimately, she's got Mm -hmm. a pimp and everything. Oh, she got a pimp? Yeah. But yeah, like her family has completely written her off. So Mm -hmm. even modern day, that would still be an accurate statement. Yeah. And I know a lot of people don't talk about the victims, but I tried to find a little bit more on them. I did find that three men who had loved Bali in her life the most, her father, her estranged husband, and her oldest son, split the funeral expenses. She was buried on the 6th of September, 1888, in a polished elm coffin. Two mourning coaches accompanied the body to the City of London Cemetery Park at Manor Park Cemetery. So she was buried there under the grave number 210752. In 1996, a plaque was placed to mark her grave, and it remains there to this day. Nine days after her body was found, and only two days after her body was laid to rest, another one of his victims was brought into the mortuary. A witness had reported seeing Annie Chapman talking with a man outside 29 Hanbury Street. About 5.30 a.m. the morning of her murder, Albert Kadosh? Is that Kadosh? I don't know. Words are hard. He lived at 27 Hanbury Street, reported hearing a woman in the next area, like backyard, say no, followed by what sounded like a body falling against a fence. But nobody went and checked on it. Again, with prostitution, people just ignored things because it happened so often. Approximately about 20 minutes later, her badly mutilated body was found by Carter. De- or a Carter is a uh, person that pushes a cart. It's not a nurse. his name is john davis near a doorway in the backyard of 29 hanbury street her throat had been cut in the much the same manner as marianne nichols so almost decapitated so far her abdomen was ripped entirely open her intestines were torn out but still attached and had been placed over her right shoulder just seems like a no say that one more time her intestines were ripped out of her abdomen but they were still attached but he just put them over her shoulder And then a later autopsy revealed that the killer had removed her uterus and parts of her bladder and vagina. 
interesting. And the doctor was so disturbed by the damage done to Annie's corpse that he refused to go into like explicit detail about the mutilations in her abdomen. The fact that Annie's tongue was found protruding from her mouth implies that she was also strangled before he did any of the damage with the knife. And uh, the crime scene also implied that she didn't struggle much, but the autopsy also showed that she had advanced diseases of the lungs and the brain. So probably tuberculosis. So she was probably too sick to even fight back. It's very sad. And Annie's death also marked the beginning of theorizing that the Whitechapel murderer was some sort of doctor or had a medical background because the precision of all the organs being taken out. It just blows my mind. Like, the uterus, but just part half of the vagina. I don't. I don't know. That's Have you ever saw a vagina and said like I'm thinking Arby's? <laughs> it's called the roast beef curtain. I've, no. Oh, well, wait. A like, uh, yeah. Man. Okay, maybe one. Yeah. Okay. Guilty. Yeah. Oh man, yeah. This is murder. It's serious. Oh, okay. Cool. Back to your murder. Yeah. Go back, back to my to murder. murder. And guts and- Go back to your corner. Evans going uh, back to the corner. And they also said the precision of the removals and the fact that it took place so fast, they thought that he had some sort of medical training. Members of the Smith family, including her father and sisters, conducted Annie's funeral in secret on the 14th of September. Oh, that's my wedding anniversary. To avoid the attention of hysterical crowds. So at this point, people were actually becoming literate. So people were reading newspapers like crazy. So this was kind of like a almost like a paparazzi, like crowds. Everybody was just like the morbid curiosity. So they did her funeral in secret so people would stop attacking them. So she was buried in a public grave, 78, and her body was laid down 12 feet in a communal grave. Since then, the grave has been covered over and the exact location is lost. But in 2008, they put a historical marker where they think her body is. That's even sadder. You get brutally murdered and then you get buried on top of a bunch of other people. The Ripper would claim two more victims in the early morning hours of September 30th, 1888. The first of which was Elizabeth Stride. Her body was discovered in Dutfield's yard off Burner Street at approximately 1 a.m. The killer had cut her throat, severing her left artery, yet no other slashes or incisions had been made. Because of the absence of the abdominal mutilations, there's been some doubts as to whether it was actually Jack the Ripper but most experts agree that it was Jack the Ripper. He just was caught and didn't have time. And because of Stride's limited social network, she was the longest to identify. She was identified by the end of the week and laid to rest that following Saturday, the 6th of October at East London Cemetery. No friends or family were available to lay her to rest. The undertake- undertaker, Mr. Hawks, paid for a small funeral with funds from the church. Well, that was sad. She didn't have anybody at her funeral. That's sad. <laughs> And her grave is number 15509, and you can go visit it today. Where's this at again? In London. London. Write that down. East London Cemetery. So 45 minutes after Stride's body was found, Catherine Edo's body was discovered in Mitry Square within a city of London. Edo's throat had been severed and her abdomen tore open with a deep jagged wound. Her left kidney had been removed along with a major portion of her uterus. Just before Edo's mutilated body would be discovered, eyewitnesses saw her in the company of a man who they described as being 5'7", 30 years of age, with medium build, fair complexion, and a mustache. And they said he had the appearance of a sailor. 
That's all I think of when I hear someone say and a mustache. Just like, yes. like what was the Whitner cartoon? And it was the guy with like the handlebar mustache. Um, no, and he, um, was it the watching it when Rocky I was and Bullwinkle? No, yes. no, it is okay. Yes, <laughs> what was his name? I'm I cannot remember. If I randomly blurred out a name, just okay. Um, of all ripper victims up until this point, Catherine Edo's body had the greatest amount of damage to the entire body. Oh, this is really bad. Kate was also the first to have her face mutilated. A triangular flap. Oh, I hate the word flap in this instance was peeled from the skin of her cheek. So it looked like arrows going towards her eyes. And there was also cuts made in her eyelids, including one that was about one inch and a half long to the left eye. Oh, so sad. While Nichols, Chapman, and Stride had quiet private funerals, Edo's funeral was actually really publicized and the entire city came. The procession coming from the Golden Lane Mortuary passed along Mile End Road. A large crowd was waiting at the gates of the cemetery, after which the gate shut them out. Ultimately, the only people that went to the funeral were the people closest to her. So her daughter, Annie Phillips, her sisters, Eliza, Gold Harriet Jones, Emma Edo's, and Elizabeth Fisher, and John Kelly. So coincidentally, Eddowes is buried just a few graves away from Mary Ann Nichols, and they're both in the city of London Park at Manor Park Cemetery. Eddowes was laid to rest in a public grave, 49336. Her remains currently lie beside the Garden Way. In 1996, cemetery authorities decided to mark her grave with a bronze plaque. So it seems like the 80s and 90s people are trying to, yeah, you know, give them some memorials. Considered to be Jack the Ripper's, like, swan song is Mary Jane Kelly's murder. It was the most gruesome of all the Whitechapel murders. She was found horribly mutilated, lying on the bed in her single-room flat where she lived at 13 Miller's Court off Dorset Street. She was discovered at 10.45 a.m. on the morning of November 9th, 1888. So the landlord's assistant, Thomas Bower, had been sent over to collect rent because she was a few weeks late. When she didn't answer the knock at the door, he reached his hand through a crack in the window, pushing aside a coat, and got in. When he when he walked in, it was so bad. So her body was mutilated beyond recognition. Her entire abdominal cavity had been emptied out. Her breast was cut off, and all of it was deliberately placed beneath her head and on the bedside table. Oh, so bad. Her face that had been awful. I know, and it's like unnecessarily awful. So bad. Kelly's face had been hacked away and her heart was removed. And it was also absent from the crime scene. So this dude's taking a uterus, a kidney, and a heart now. It's... Huh. So by far it's the most grisly and ritualistic, which I, I think the one before that was really awful. And I kind of feel like he got interrupted, so he took out his frustration on her. And probably this one, too. Because a lot of times serial killers have to have like their ritual... So he's right. just it's escalating. So presumably without the presence of police walking up on them. So he did everything else in alleys. Now he's in her room. Nobody's going to catch them. He probably had a whole lot more time to like carry out his compulsions and rituals. The bed was so saturated with blood. They think that she actually died from the knife wounds this time rather than asphyxiation. That's a hard word to say. Oh my God. It's choking. Yeah. Asphyxiation. <laughs> So Mary Jane Kelly was laid to rest in a Roman Catholic cemetery at Leightonstone. She was moved from the mortuary 
and she arrived at the graveyard at 12.30 p.m. Both Joseph Barrett, her partner, and John McCarthy, her landlord, were the only ones that joined and made sure that she was buried according to Catholic tradition. Her landlord showed up? Yeah, she didn't have any other family. They're all estranged. I know. You probably felt really bad because they're like hounding her for rent and then she's like, boom, dead. Right. I mean, he, well, wasn't he the one that found her? His assistant did, but. Okay. And according to the Daily Telegraph and a lot of the articles, they said they just couldn't find her family to come to her funeral. So the city reclaimed Mary Kelly's grave in 1950, and John Morrison built a large headstone for her in 1986. It was marking the wrong grave, however. Like, you get murdered, and then people just put the wrong gravestone. There's just. But it was later removed, and now she has a historical grave marker that was put there in 1990. Well, good. At least she has something now. Yeah. Following Kelly's ghastly murder, there were four other women who were killed in Whitechapel District during the same period. The first was Rose Milet. Milet was found strangled in Clark's yard on High Street on December 20th, 1888. Investigators assess that her death may have been the result of a drunken stupor because there's no visible signs of a struggle apparent anywhere on her body. Even though the inquest deemed it to be a murder, her death did not resemble a river killing. But the body of Alice McKenzie was found on July 17, 1889 in Castle Alley, Whitechapel. She had suffered a severed carotid artery along with multiple cuts and bruises across her body. So it was evidence of a struggle. One of the pathologists involved in the investigation dismissed this as a possible ripper murder as it didn't match all the other intricacies of the other ones. Writers have disputed Mackenzie as being a victim of a ripper, but, or she wasn't a victim of Jack the Ripper, but probably a copycat. Of course, those pop up. So the 10th Whitechapel murder victim was the Pension Street Torso. The victim was renamed. Oh, God, it's so bad. Name that because she was found headless and legless under a railway arch in Pension Street. Investigators believe that the victim was murdered at a different location and then dismembered for disposal. And then Frances Coles was murdered on February 13, 1891. She was found at Shallow Gardens, a passageway beneath the railroad arch uh, with her throat slit. She had visible wounds on her back of her head, suggesting that she was likely thrown to the ground after it suffered a knife wound across the throat. Apart from the cuts on her throat, there's no mutilation. So again, they don't think it really is the river. But regardless of whether or not the river's you know, blood sport ended with Mary Jane Kelly, it's certain that it, it did end. Many speculate that it was due to either illness or he died or he was institutionalized for insanity. Some suggest that he may have fled the country and lived in self-imposed exile, which are those theories that he was H.H. Holmes. But we'll get into that next week because this was so fucking long. I couldn't do all of it. So next week, I'm going to do the murderer side of this. So it'll be the theory, suspects, evidence, conspiracies. And then because it's a spooky segment, I'll do some ghosts. So... That's my sig. There's just so much because there's all this evidence and then there's right. so many theories. There's well, eight major. With the advancement of like forensics and mm-hmm. all of that, you, they probably go back and take another look at the evidence with the yeah. technology we have now. I think a few years ago, somebody claimed they found a shawl one of the victims was wearing and that they did some blood tests and he said that he knew who did it and but it's all inconclusive. I feel like I remember seeing something about like a picture of like they knew who Jack the Ripper was. Mm-hmm. I took a college English class when I was in high school and our 
final paper is that there was eight of us. So each one of us had to pick a ripper suspect. And then we had to do a persuasive paper and proving that our guy was Jack the Ripper. It was really interesting (laughs) because all of them sound like you've figured it out. You read one, you're like, that's him. It's got to be him. And then you see the next one, you're like, well, shit, that one makes just as much sense. So it's really wild to me that nobody's figured out who did it. Hmm. That's history as fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Well played. Oh, wait. Mike. Look, we let Evan come out of the corner for like seriously. second. Seriously, when I get high as fuck and I sit there and I just get so into it, which I'm I'm staring at the screen, I'm drooling, right? If you could picture it, you can't really see me on camera, but I'm drooling. I'm just staring at you like, and I'm just so into the story. It's like, huh? Huh? That's fucked up, bro. Uh, it takes you deep. It takes it you is. deep and dark in that shit. Yeah. Well, thanks for having us on. Well, thank you guys for coming. Thank you. Yeah. We went down a bunch of rabbit holes. <laughs> we did. I well, apologize. Well, that's really just good how this that. goes. Hey. Tell everybody again how they can find you. Yeah. So we're at on Instagram at the Bad Girls Gospel. And then Facebook with the same name. And then we have a website, thebadgirlsgospel.com. And then we're also on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Stitcher under the same name. Awesome. Highly recommend it. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having us. Sorry, it's been like a rabbit hole. Oh, it's fine. I can edit all that out. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Oh, no, it's fine. This was actually completely normal. It's so, like, <laughs> And it's Friday. Oh, no. Yeah, I didn't even. Yeah, who knows what day it is anymore. All right, well, it was nice meeting you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. All right, good night. Good night. Bye. I want to thank Bad Girls Gospel again for coming and being a guest on the podcast. I had a great time recording with them. They are just so funny. So definitely go check them out. And if you would like to join Patreon, we are just five away from our giveaway, our haunted ghost hunting kit giveaway. So that's patreon.com slash historical AF. And there's just a lot of really cool content. And then you can watch this live. There's probably going to be an hour and a half cut out of this episode. So if you wanted to see this and all its debauchery, join Patreon. We also, I need your listener stories for our listener episode. You can email those at historicalafpod at gmail.com. And as always, you can follow the pod on social media. And that's historicalafpod across the board. Thank you guys so much for listening. And we will see you next week with my fellow public historian buddy, David. So really excited for Sex History Part 3. Okay, bye.